According to Luke chapter 2. Glory to you, Lord. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother, Mary, this child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age, and having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At, the moment, at that moment, she came and began to praise God and speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Christ. You may be seated. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father in heaven, and through our risen and living Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. How good is your eyesight? Dana got glasses this week. How's, how's yours? Can you imagine seeing a whole world previously unseen by anyone? This week I heard a story about a Dutch scientist who discovered a new world. Yes, unseen by anyone else over 300 years ago. The Dutch scientist Antony van Leeuwenhoek described seeing thousands of colorful organisms moving around, dancing even, in a droplet of water. So many that he could only marvel at this wonderful sight, and all of this after he developed an early version of the microscope in the late 1600s. What he saw were living things, bacteria and protozoa swimming in just a drop of water. And he assured people that he brushed his teeth regularly, but he wrote in a letter, all the people living in our United Netherlands are not as many as the living animals that I carry in my mouth every day. This was beyond people's imagination. They thought he was crazy. You're getting hungry now, aren't you, after hearing that? <laughs> Leeuwenhoek is known today as the father of microbiology. Isn't that amazing? And his invention, if you look at a picture of it, it looks more like a medieval torture device. Uh, but it was so good for its time that it took over 100 years for any serious improvements to be made. 
on the microscope. He was a pioneer of science that took the industry and our world into uncharted territory. They still hadn't made connections about bacteria and illness or that sort of thing. That would come later, but that he was the first to see something that's been all around us forever. Pretty amazing, right? Luther Seminary professor Craig Kester writes that a pioneer goes where others have not yet traveled for the purpose of opening a way that others might follow. Going where others have not yet gone for the purpose of opening a way. We might think of those who set out to cross North America as pioneers, like Lewis and Clark, born about 100 years after Dr. Leeuwenhoek, mindful that they followed trails that were probably already there, met native inhabitants of the land that were there long before they arrived. Or we could name the first people to settle here in Las Vegas as pioneers. Yeah, they built a city here in the desert that continues to thrive over 100 years after its founding. Or this weekend, we heard these stories of Apollo 11, the first human beings to walk on the moon. And now people want to go back there. They've opened a way. They did what, thought, what so many thought was impossible and it affected our reality in countless ways. Computer chips. Uh, what's that big silver emergency blanket? Maybe you keep it in your back of your car just in case. That was all invented for Apollo. A true pioneer goes where no one has gone before and makes a way. Jesus does that for us. The author of Hebrews calls Jesus the pioneer of our salvation. The one through whom God created the world. The one who knows the pain and suffering of our world has opened a way for us to be free from pain and death and suffering. If you hear this story from Hebrews, this scripture is often read the first Sunday of Christmas. So consider this Christmas in July. Why do we read it that day? Because it so vividly portrays the meaning of what we call the incarnation. That Jesus came into our world. God has come to be with us and knows our suffering, enters into the fullness of what it means to be human. God the Father, who was spoken through the prophets, is not only speaking through the Son, but is present with us everywhere we go. has become one of us and realizes the extent of the reality of our existence. Joy and pain, love, shame, laughter and fear and life and grief and achievement and struggle. Merry Christmas! <laughs> yeah, our lives are complicated. Jesus knows that. Jesus knows that suffering continues and yet promises freedom from suffering and even death itself. On the cross, Jesus bears the pain that we experience, knows the shame that is part of our lives, and carries it for all of us. And we're still afraid. We still face trials, pain, and the effects of the ways that we fail to live into this peace that Jesus brings. We still feel that, but Jesus has redeemed it, made it new, made new meaning of our sufferings, too. Still a part of life, but Jesus' promise is that pain and death and evil do not define us. They will not have the final say over who we are. And 
when we've been through struggles and suffering and loss, we can feel ashamed. We can feel ashamed about what we've experienced. We can feel ashamed about our bodies, about our work, about our minds, about lots of things. Yet Jesus is not ashamed of us. It's pretty clear in that text right there. Jesus is not ashamed of us. Jesus calls us his siblings, his family. We are his. I have siblings. I'm the oldest of five, and sometimes that's hard. It's hard to be siblings. It's hard when the little brother gets all the attention, gets what he wants, just so the parents can have a moment of peace. Right? Don't want to hear the screaming like getting lemonade at 6.30 in the morning, even though we don't drink lemonade for breakfast. Oh, sorry, was that too real? Uh, when I was 12, I didn't uh, want my little sisters hanging around. My best friend Hawk remembers times of sleeping on my couch as a teenager and be, being awakened by my sister, Chelsea, about three inches from his nose. We didn't hang out at my house a lot. Uh, yeah, we can sometimes be ashamed of our siblings, our family members. Maybe for something that they've done, for their political ideas. And, that's a little too real too, huh? We can be ashamed of our siblings who just want to tag along. They just want to be with us, to learn, to have fun, to see what the big kids are up to. And Jesus wasn't above that, wasn't above humanity, but was there, fully human, experiencing all of this with the creation, and yet calls us his siblings. Here am I and the children God gave me. He's our brother. We are his. And Jesus never shies away from that reality of human existence. He eats with sinners and prostitutes and touches the unclean and heals lepers and enters the house where his friend Lazarus has died. Jesus keeps it real, 100% real, keeping it 100. Jesus is for us. So why would we ever try to act like we're above him? Have you heard that term, holier than thou? Well, the role of the priest in Israel was to be just that, holier than thou. The priest was the one from the tribe of Levi, to be a person set aside, set apart for the sake of performing rituals, specifically to handle the sacrifices to God. They were ones who would discern the will of God for the people. They interpreted scripture in context, were mediators of the presence of God for the people. And they were ones considered to be holier than others, also able to approach the altar to make sacrifice on behalf of the community. The priests were ones who could go where not just anyone else could. The author of Hebrews writes to explain that because Jesus knows us, is one of us, and is for us, he's the one able to liberate us from the pain and suffering we live in every day. Jesus became like his brothers and sisters in every respect, not for no reason, but so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make a sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the people. He goes where no one else can go to make a way. Caroline Lewis writes that through Jesus' death, death itself, even the fear of death, will be destroyed death itself destroyed. Well, well, what else do we have then? If death has been destroyed, we have 
life, abundant life. Jesus is the word of salvation. Jesus is for us. He is never ashamed of us since he knows our struggles, our pain, our hate, our deep longing, and knows all that makes us afraid. When this world is difficult, when the weight of our sin and others is heavy, when we feel broken, when we are filled with pain, we can know that we are not alone. Jesus has felt it all. Jesus has taken it all to the cross and made a way for us to have abundant life, peace, joy, and love here and now. Even when things seem impossible and promises us, yes, eternal life with him in heaven. Can you imagine what it must have been like to look at that little droplet of water and see thousands of living things? Or see the earth from the window of that command module on the Apollo 11 rocket. Or to see the Pacific Ocean after crossing a continent. Or to see a modern town begin to take shape in the Mojave Desert. When these projects began, it must have sounded ridiculous. Crazy talk. You want to go to the moon? What for? What's the point? It's going to cost more money than you can imagine, require things that haven't even been invented yet, and who knows, maybe you won't come back. The Holy Spirit spoke to Simeon. He was righteous. He followed the law. He made his sacrifices in the temple and longed for this promise of God's future. And maybe he told people, maybe he said, God promised me I'm going to see the Messiah. And maybe people said, you are out of your gourd, man. Get on with your life. Get busy dying. You're an old man. It ain't going to happen. But he clung to that promise. The Spirit told him he would live to see the Savior of the world. And day by day, he went on with his life, doing what he knew how to do. And then one day, it happened. That family walked in the doors into the sanctuary with that little one. He met Jesus as a baby. When his parents brought him in and he praised the Lord, knowing that what might have been unbelievable had come to pass. This was it, the hope of the nation, the hope of all the nations, the joy of the world. Jesus was in his arms and he held him and he sang he sang that song that we sing after we gather around this table and take that body and blood of Jesus into our hands where we receive God's grace. Just like Simeon received God's promise there in the temple. And we are forgiven, fed, and sent to participate in the kingdom to be a part of God's story too. Welcomed into this abundant life. And all of this is ours because Jesus did it for us. He went ahead of us. Jesus is God's word of salvation. The word that helped create the whole world. The earth, the Grand Tetons, the Las Vegas Valley, all of it. Is the word that welcomes us into a new creation. That Jesus is for us, for all of us. Let no one claim there is anyone that Jesus is not for. Because this pioneer, this liberator, is justice for the whole creation. The whole cosmos sings of the praises of God, received mercy in the arms of the one who calls us siblings. No nation owns him, but all of them are his.
No race can say they know better because we are all one in Christ. And no works, no wealth, no wisdom can earn God's mercy because the one who has secured these great gifts for us gives up every power he has been given. When he dies on the cross and takes our pain and sickness and greed and hatred and selfishness down to the grave with him, and there even does away with the power of death itself. So then, how shall we live? Freed from the weight of a painful world, from all that is in us, we get to liberate and feed others. We get to feel the love that has binded each one of us together from the very beginning of time and walk with one another as the priesthood of all believers in the kingdom as the family of faith. We get to be parents and siblings of the people of every race and nation since Jesus calls us his own. He has been there. He has done that. He's made a way for this world which can seem so lost and so broken and full of fear and hate and ignorance. In Christ Jesus, our brother, our liberator, our merciful and faithful high priest. Everything has been made new, and he didn't come to save angels or serve himself, but he goes where no one else could go to make a way, and he does it for us. Amen.